This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making our truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And just another reminder that when you buy a recurring subscription, you are receiving a 25% discount. This is a way to reward those who want to stay on board long-term. Read our terms for more information. You can purchase three, six, nine months, and one or two years. You can also give the gift of truth. Purchase a Veritas subscription today. And for MMS, our futuristic metal case USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material, and now phytovitamins. Feel the difference. Visit the Veritas store. And to get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Did you know that our constitutional rights are very much in danger due to the Patriot Act? Tonight, we will discuss in explicit detail just how far the powers that be will go in perpetrating a lie to achieve their goals. There is no longer any doubt that our politicians are not for the people. 
we'll discuss the story of a woman who was accused unjustified of being an Iraqi spy. She was put in prison and slammed with the Patriot Act. She fought against it and won. In the process, though, she was almost silenced morally, physically, and spiritually. But she survived, and thanks to her strength and courage, she provided us with her testimony and the struggle that, quote-unquote, the U.S. democracy made her go through. Tonight's special guest is Susan Lindauer. This is an extraordinary example of strength and courage fighting against the most horrible law. Welcome to the Patriot Act, the most perverse law to silence truth. If you really want to know the truth about how our government really works and to what extent they will go to achieve their goals, don't go anywhere. Susan Lindauer is coming up right now on Veritas. As a U.S. intelligence asset, Susan Lindauer covered anti-terrorism at the Iraqi embassy in New York from 1996 up to the invasion. Independent sources have confirmed that she gave advance warning about the 9-11 attack. She also started talks for the Lockerbie trial with Libyan diplomats. Shortly after, requesting to testify before Congress about successful elements of pre-war intelligence, Lindauer became one of the first non-Arab Americans arrested on the Patriot Act as a quote-unquote Iraqi agent. She was accused of warning her second cousin, White House Chief of Staff Andrew Card, and Secretary of State Colin Powell that war with Iraq would have catastrophic consequences. Gratis of the Patriot Act, her indictment was loaded with quote-unquote secret charges and secret evidence. She was subjected to one year in prison on Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth, Texas, without a trial or hearing, and threatened with indefinite detention and forcible drugging to shut her up. After five years of indictment without a conviction or guilty plea, the Justice Department dismissed all charges five days before President Obama's inauguration. Lindauer has written a book titled Extreme Prejudice, The Terrifying Story of the Patriot Act and the Cover-Ups of 9-11 and Iraq. And it is about her experience, which is also linked on our website, and you can buy it there too. And directly from the state of Maryland, right next to Washington, D.C., I would like to welcome Susan Lindauer. Hello, Miss Lindauer, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on today. This is the fight of our age. We really are the, the uh, 9-11 and Iraq are old news for a lot of people and, and most Americans think they know what really happened. And But the Patriot Act is something that is very much misunderstood and it is a very dangerous weapon in, in a corrupt government's hands. Indeed, indeed. And when, once I opened your boxes and I, and I appreciated that you sent me the book, Extreme Prejudice, you signed it, and you wrote one of my favorite quotes by George Orwell. In times of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. By the way, may I call you Susan? Absolutely. Yes, thank you. That is my f very favorite quote, too, and it is so apropos of our times. And apropos with the name of our show, so let's let's speak some very tonight. But first of all, Susan, for the listeners who may not be familiar with your story, give us the 
chronology of events that le- that led you to being one of the first non-Arab Americans, the first one being Jose Padilla, if I'm not mistaken. You were That's arrested correct. on the Patriot Act as a quote-unquote Iraqi agent, and you were incarcerated. Tell us, tell us the chronology. There were two factors that the seat that the uh, U.S. government was trying desperately to hide. The first was our the C, our 9/11 warnings uh, to the CIA and the Justice Department before the attacks, and the second was the existence of an Iraqi peace framework that would have resolved the entire conflict without firing a shot. Um, it, it was a, uh, a a devastating admission that American soldiers had no reason to die. There was no reason to go kill Iraqi citizens at all. Uh, all of, without exception, every conceivable area that the CIA had been able to identify had been had been managed and and very to, to the great benefit of the United States. And you know, Susan, I've lost count of the many times I've, I've said that the parallels between Nazi Germany and the USA are just. Incredible. Among one of those parallels was Hitler's Enabling Act, which is our Patriot Act. I think the answer should be obvious to to everyone. But do you see the United States turning into a Nazi Germany, granted, more gradually? Well, actually, I'm very glad you mentioned this. Uh, The Patriot Act is 7,000 pages taken paragraph per paragraph, copied directly from two of the worst laws ever passed, the Nazi enabling laws and the Soviet criminal code of 1926 that established the KGB and the Gulag system under Joseph Stalin. And uh, the Nazi enabling laws established the Gestapo and the SS and uh, and the whole uh, the, the, all all of the internment laws that were used against first against the the communists and the labor unionists the trade unionists and then later on against the Jews um, and that is the basis of what we describe as the Holocaust so. Is this, you know, right now what we're seeing is the foundations of fascism being laid in the United States. We have the institutions in place already that can be invoked. You know, martial law can be, you know, just flick a switch and it, and it we have to pass any laws. It's already there. It's already done. NDAA, another catastrophe for America. A few weeks ago, I interviewed uh, Richard Cottrell. He wrote the book Operation Gladio. And I remember asking him at the end, I said, Richard, where do you see the United States going? And he said, based on my experience, I see the United States becoming another Soviet Union mixed with Nazi Germany. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And Richard Cottrell is is someone, uh, I'm glad you interviewed him. He's uh, he, his, his book, Operation Gladio, is very important. Uh, to how, especially in, in light of, you know, the Boston Marathon bombings, which are tragic. No one is saying that they're not tragic. However, their uh, terrorism is used to manage dissent and to manufacture an image of dissension and to keep all groups off, off their, off their, um, unbalanced. 
do, do you understand? It's like to keep the society in tension. It creates tension, and it Absolutely. and it puts everyone on the defensive, um, and and makes everyone paranoid and suspicious. Uh, but there are many ways of doing that. Um, I'll give you another example, which is very, which is has just come to light. Um, op- uh, Oath keepers and Panda. The I think it's called People Against the the, the NDAA, Panda, uh, have both been in recipient in receipt of of suspicious emails that have contained child pornography. They do con- the images do contain child pornography embedded in these attachments, and Oath Keepers and Panda have both gone public to de- denounce and decry this horrible st- tactic and to demand a public investigation. Well, one of the emails, it turns out, I was shocked to find this out, uh, was, uh, uh, is, is being circulated. And, and, and excuse me, let me back up. When Panda investigated it, they were, they received a, 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 a reply email which is is posted on activistpost.com and the the whole the whole they they've done a um, stormcloudsgathering.com has done a video presentation of this uh which needs to be seen as widely as possible but but they the, the whoever is creating these these uh these horrible child pornography uh emails that you know viruses uh, which are really quite I mean, they're they're hideous. I mean, they're abusing children for one thing. They're trying to destroy the integrity and the credibility of activists, and actually trying to send you to prison on top of it all, which is horrible. Uh, I don't I don't know if you get more than worse than that. But but they are uh, hacking into various uh, activists' email databases, and I, in fact, and 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 they they are claiming that they are going after whistleblowers and blog activists. They're looking for blog activists, which could be you or I. Well, in my case, um, I had received, it, it turns out, I'm horrified to say, that I, though I am a woman, obviously a woman, uh, had received one of those dirty emails. Uh, it was it was supposed to be, um, I was it, the, the 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 heading said that it was a Bilderberg photographs of the of the Bilderberg meeting, and it was from a 9/11 activist. It was from someone who had sent me who was a, a somebody I trust, somebody who'd sent me emails in the past with good attachments, and so I opened it up. Well, when I opened it up, um, I do not know if it saved onto my system or not. I have no way of knowing that. But my computer is so old and, and, and crappy. It's like nine years old. And, and the image, so whatever, whatever image they were, it was trying to open up ended up crashing my computer. So it didn't actually get into the, uh, it, we don't know. We don't, we don't know if it got into the computer or not. But, I mean, yeah, you know that you 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 just don't know what how far these people are willing to to go to try to destroy other people's lives and reputations, and so when we say when people say to me, "Oh, you're paranoid. Oh, it can't be as bad as you're saying," you're completely wrong. It is. It's even worse than we're saying. Uh, you know, Edward Snowden did a tremendous job 
uh, exposing the degree of NSA surveillance. And I hope and pray that it becomes a tipping point for America because it has forced this issue into the, the ordinary public, that you know, the people who are usually in coma, the comatose Americans, they're now aware of this problem too. Uh, and I hope we can do something with it, make something come from it that's positive, because Edward Snowden has certainly sacrificed a lot to get that message out. Absolutely. And going back to uh, this situation with child pornography, these people would go to any extent. And folks, it's not only if you open the the attachment or the link, but the fact that your inbox received that email that's all they need. I was telling Susan before we started that uh, I have a relative who years ago, I don't know if you remember after 9-11, the FBI started doing these community service meetings, you know, having people join, you know, if you see something, say something, that kind of thing. And they were saying, be careful with your Wi-Fi's. And this is something actually positive for many people who are listening. If you have a Wi-Fi at home, make sure that you have it locked, meaning you have a very strong password. Because anybody that wants to harm you can park their car across the street from you or wherever your signal goes, and they can actually upload anything. And this could be child pornography. It could be illegal, uh, anything at all. And a neighbor that may not like you, may be in cahoots. Uh, the authorities may knock on your door and say, we have information, we have a search uh, a warrant for a search warrant here, we need to know. You don't even know it, they go to your computer and boom, you're framing, you can go to jail for a very long time. No difference than an unscrupulous- 10 years. People. Yes, 10, 10 years. years. Automatic. And an unscrupulous uh, cop that goes into a store, plants drugs just to frame you. You have to be very, very vigilant, especially with what we do. We're, we're, we're telling the truth all the time. We're not in the mainstream media. They want us to shut up, uh, Susan. And the Patriot Act was the first nail, as you say. We're, we're going to discuss the NDAA. But again, also, your cell phones, folks. I just heard today that there is absolutely no way to prevent cell phone hacking. So anybody can hack into your phone and they can actually plant all this information in your phone. It's not in, in your computer only. Your cell phones do. But uh, I remember Bush, uh, Bush uh, 41, 43, after 9-11, he said, you're either with us or you are with the terrorists. So right now it's becoming even worse, Susan. Anybody who discusses the truth or whatever the government is now saying, all of a sudden we are the terrorists. What do you say about that? Absolutely. That is a big part of my book, Extreme Prejudice, the terrifying story of the Patriot Act and the cover-ups of 9-11 in Iraq. And I urge everybody, like I said, you think you, 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 think you know what happened before 9-11, you're wrong. You think you know the truth about Iraqi pre-war intelligence, you're wrong. You don't. They lied about everything. But but worst part of it, which is still relevant to this day, is the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act declares that any freedom of speech which threatens the government, you don't have to threaten violent overthrow or violent action, revolt, armed rebellion. It's not necessary. If you have a local congressman who might lose the next election because you are exposing something that is embarrassing, like maybe he did something wrong. If you expose his malfeasance, 
you are the bad guy under the Patriot Act because only the gov the government can the the Patriot Act enshrines the goodness of government and says that anyone who challenges the authority of the the authority and righteousness of the government is automatically criminalized. Free speech is criminalized. This federal government was supposed to be here to protect us from enemies foreign and domestic and a few other things, not to grow to the extent that it has grown. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. States are behaving, they should be behaving like sovereign states and not like federal districts. Where is this going, Susan? Uh, I think it is, it, especially with the economic collapse of the United States and the middle class, uh, I, I fear for our children. I fear for the good people in government. You know, this is not to say that all people in government are, are bad people. They're just like us. They, I'm sure that there are many people in government who want to do good, who don't want, like the Oath Keepers, people in the police, in the fire department, in the, in the military, who really do want to protect the United States, who really do want to protect our society and protect our community. I'm all for those people. I am not against police officers or law and order. I just want the law to respect in the individual <laughs> and protect, and protect the individual. Like I think the FBI should be investigating these scumbags who are sending out this child, these child pornography uh, emails. They're slime. They should be stopping it. Unfortunately, a lot of the FBI, it's so, not only the FBI, but all of it is so politicized that even good people will receive orders from, from above. Don't touch it. Let it go. You know, I, I was appalled how many, when I was under indictment under the Patriot Act for five years, I was prohibited from having a trial. And I was told, uh, that, uh, that, that various people in the intelligence community were horrified by what was happening. I was told that various congressional staffers were horrified by what was happening. Cause I live in Washington and I know these people personally. Um, my boyfriend worked at the Pentagon. He has since died of cancer, but he then worked at the Pentagon and he, he worked in, had, had a background in defense intelligence. And he assured me that they were, that they, that they were, that, that not everybody hated my guts, that they felt very, that they were somewhat ashamed of it because, you know, they, they knew that the government was lying. But so long as the Bush administration and leaders on Capitol Hill, members of Congress in both parties, and it was not just Republicans, it was also Democrats, who, who wanted to sell a lie. They refused to take responsibility for their decisions to go to war. They refused to take responsibility for their failure to stop 9-11. They desired so strongly to blame the intelligence community and to say bad intelligence did this. It's not our fault. She did it. Well, gosh, Actually, the, the, the real truth contradicted them in total. <laughs> and that's why you got to read my book, Extreme Prejudice, to know just how big these lies were. Uh, they're huge lies. But uh, the, the way that they did it was to invoke the Patriot Act in ways that people, you know, some people say, oh, the Patriot Act. And in their brains, two things go on. They think the Patriot Act only applies to foreigners. 
and that surveillance only applies to international communications. That is factually wrong in all detail. All communications, domestic and international, are under surveillance. The Patriot Act applies to all citizens, American or foreign-born. The Patriot Act applies to blonde people like me, just like dark-skinned people with Arab names. All of us are affected by this. And the Patriot Act goes much farther. It has, it allows the following things. Secret charges, secret evidence. The government, in other words, is not required to tell you what crime you actually might have committed. And the government is not required to provide any evidence that the action even occurred. It's like if there's a bank robbery in a regular court case, they're going to say, okay, the bank on University, Bank of America on University Boulevard got, got raided, got robbed at three in the afternoon. There were two tellers on duty. They have video. Here's the picture. Here's the getaway car that was captured, you know, video in the parking lot captured the, captured the getaway car. And all of this has to be provided to the defense. And then it's up to the defendant to show they were not the person who did the robbery. They had an alibi. There, there was a pro, there was a mistake in the in the interpretation of the of the data. Okay, that's fair. The Patriot Act allows them to say, well, we don't have to tell you what crime occurred. We don't have to tell you whether it was a bank robbery or a purse snatching. It could have been anything, and we don't even have to prove that there was a real bank at, at that location. And we don't even have to prove that a robbery occurred at that location, let alone to show that you did it. So all of the things in secret charges, they can make it appear that something really sinister was going on. It's national security, so we don't have to tell you what it is. But, ooh, it's so bad. You better just take our word for it. And in a courtroom, the judge has the power to instruct the jury that it's an, it is sufficient that the prosecutor tells them a crime occurred, that it must have happened. And you don't even have the right to challenge whether it even happened or not. You, do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? You don't even get to say, this is, this is nonsense. Absolutely. And my question is, is this in fact voiding the Constitution and the Bill of Rights at all? Absolutely. Every, every charge under the Bill of Rights is voided. The First Amendment freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. I was attacked for believing in God. Now I, which is a part of the First Amendment as well. Now I am not a, I am, I do believe in God. I don't apologize for that. I'm not an atheist. However, who do you think, who do you think this government is telling somebody that they have to be criticized or they have to be condemned uh, and I was not allowed to have a hearing. I was not allowed to address the court. Object uh, to warrant two warrantless searches. Uh, they convened a grand jury without any evidence, and then searched my house trying to find something to give the grand jury. And in the process of doing that second search, that second warrantless search, when they couldn't find anything to show the grand jury, they broke the door. So I actually had plywood barricading my front door, 
before, it before into you, the walls. Before you tell us that, because that, I think that's going to hit the crescendo, and I want to get there by asking you something first. I want to sure. go back in time to your background. Tell us why and when you joined the CIA so that we know where did all of this came from. Okay. Um, I, I was um, uh, in the, during the Clinton administration uh, in 93, 94, uh, I was an anti-sanctions activist. And I was passionately opposed to the to the war in Iraq, the first war. And so uh, I, I was introduced to a man who said that he, uh, Richard, Dr. Richard Fuse, who said that he knew the real facts about Lockerbie and the bombing of Pan Am 103. And he said it involved heroin trafficking out of the Bacaw Valley. And he turned out to be, in the end, he was a slime bag because he really, he, he's lied. He, he actually lied to the FBI, it appears, and, and made up some stories, uh, to cover up the fact that he had stolen $13 million, uh, off the 9-11 investigation, emergency appropriations for the 9-11 investigation. Though, whether he stole it or whether he just simply diverted it, is a matter of, of conjecture because the government may have kind of winked at him and he may have felt that it was the Bush administration uh, would be happier if the money was not used to get Iraq's cooperation with the 9-11 investigation. So he may have felt t entirely justified. But as a result of this, he stole from me. And I, I got hurt very badly financially even before this ever happened because he stole, he stole the reward money for my work. So, um, yeah, he, the, Richard Fuse turns out to be kind of a bad guy himself. Uh, very dis, very disappointing as a handler. Uh, but, but there are no curbs on the, yeah, there's so much in my book. There's so much. There are no, there are no restrictions on the black budgets. Congress is, is, has, has passed a law prohibiting itself from auditing black budget expenditures and therefore Tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars are just stolen left and right. And nobody's accounting for it. Nobody knows where the money is. Uh, I know spooky people who are ending up with big, huge bank accounts. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars that they're walking off with. And no one is doing anything about it. So, um, but that's, that's aside. That's an aside. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a distraction. That's okay. And what really motivated you? Was it the anti-sanction? Because I think, for example, my, my parents left Cuba after the missile crisis. And I know, for example, a lot of Cubans in Miami, they want the, the sanctions to still be in place. I'm, I'm different. I want the sanctions to be lifted. Why do we do business with Vietnam, where we, we lost 58,000 lives? We, we had over 350,000 wounded and so many POWs that are probably still behind. Um, we gave them favorite nation status, communist country just like Cuba. Cuba being 90 miles away. Years ago, I know somebody who said that Cuba wanted to buy over 25,000 vehicles for their fleet. And they call Chrysler, they call Ford, they call General Motors, and they all told them the same thing. I'm sorry, but we can't sell you anything. And they had to go somewhere else. So we lost right. so many millions of dollars. Isn't the That's same thing right. that happened and with Iraq? I, that is exactly what happened with Iraq, and I'd like to add that wherever you have trade, you have a cross, a cross of an exchange of ideas. You have an, you have a. It's harder for a dictator to survive. 
believe it is because Cuba if it would have would have capitalism it would have exposure to these raw ideas back and forth and it would create more pressure on the government that would be more effective because they, the people would want to participate and they, they wouldn't be in this isolated you know snow globe state of, of uh, that is where, where Castro can turn around and say that it's all blamed on us um, I, I I feel very sorry for the Cuban people uh, that they're that they're being that, that this is being inflicted on them and this and that the Iraqi people uh, had a hideous situation 1.7 million Iraqis died from sanctions including 1 million children under the age of 5 now a lot of activists talk about 500,000 children who died but that figure only lasted to the start of 2006 excuse me excuse me 1996 not 2006 1996 the sanctions continued another 7 years and all through this time, children were dying from malnutrition and lack of medicine. Uh, we destroyed education. We destroyed health care, water, sewage treatment, electricity, the oil pipelines. Everything that would have allowed Iraq to rebuild itself and, and heal from the damages, we have just exacerbated terribly. So that is why I'm an anti-sanctions activist, because I feel that, uh, take a lesson from the from the... The, the Persian uh, trade routes, the, 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 um, the Silk Road, and you see that all this, the, 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 from the ancient times, uh, the traveling of ideas through, through mercantilism, um, it, it's actually very effective. It's a very effective way of overcoming tyranny, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, in two hours, we'll try to put as much information out there as we can, but your book is... An oversized 450-page <laughs> book. So I'm going to need a few times to read it again because your story is absolutely fascinating. But I remember speaking with Jim Traficant uh, not too long ago. You probably know who he is. Yes. He also looked into the Lockerbie bombing. He also started looking into things that it it essentially cost him to go to jail for seven and a half years. Some Some stories were planted, but he actually, as you know, in Congress, he says... He said, I want to know what I'm being accused of. I'm not going to admit to anything, so go take me right now. Exactly you yes. being that you were an anti-terrorism uh, agent, if you will. What is it that caused the FBI to knock on your door? Give us the information that led to that that infamous day where they actually almost broke the door and got in. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, what, what had happened was 30 days before my arrest, I did something that should have been innocuous. Uh, I phoned the offices of Trent Lott, Senator Trent Lott and Senator John McCain requesting to testify on Capitol Hill about the real facts of Iraqi pre-war intelligence and Iraq's contributions to the 9-11 investigation. Now, I had personally engaged in, interacted with the Iraqi diplomats at the United Nations in building a peace option, in securing Iraq's cooperation with the 9-11 investigation. So this was all my ter territory. All of it was uh, my responsibility. I was the primary chief 
chief and primary U.S. intelligence asset for the CIA and Defense Intelligence Agency covering Baghdad. Okay, now, uh, so when I, President Bush had appointed a blue ribbon presidential commission on Iraqi pre-war intelligence, and I, I spoke up to members of Congress and I said, I want to testify. Well, little did I expect that immediately they started getting subpoenas, all right? They convened a grand jury so that I could be indicted, which just blew my mind, blew my mind away. Um, and uh, I, 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 was, I was astonished uh, because I had gone through – this is very important. If you're, if you're evaluating Edward Snowden and Julian Assange and Bradley Manning, I went through proper channels. I, I was a, quote, whistleblower, but I was doing it the way that I had been taught was acceptable protocols. If you have something to say that you believe the public and the Congress need to hear, there are ways that the intelligence community is taught to do it, and that is to go up to Capitol Hill and request to testify. Then you are, you are presenting yourself in the appropriate forum and it's all being done correctly. That's the way you're supposed to do it, is you're supposed to go up to Capitol Hill. Well, these bimbo, I can't even say it because it would be too nasty and you, the FCC would clamp down on you. <laughs> I could use No FCC here, so go ahead. No FCC here. This is internet. The MFers. <laughs> the bastard MFers on Capitol Hill <laughs> knew exactly what I was going to say because before the war ever started, I had gone up to Capitol Hill and I had told them I had told them about uh, uh, the Iraqi peace option. I had told them about Iraq's efforts. I had debriefed them uh, for the year before, uh, a year before the invasion, uh, continuously, regularly. I would go up to Capitol Hill and sit down in meetings with very various congressional offices, Democrat, Republican, House Intelligence, Senate Intelligence, Senate Foreign Relations, you know, all, you know, as many people as I could. Most of them were anti-war. Most of them I hoped would be sympathetic, but not all of them were. I went to see uh, J.C. Watts' office. He was in the Republican leadership for the House. Uh, and he was, a, he was a black man from Oklahoma City. I went to see Senator Nichols' office. He was the, from Oklahoma. Uh, and, and we talked about the Oklahoma City bombings and how Iraq could identify financial, uh, pipeline, uh, financial, the financial pipeline and technical assistance between Timothy McVeigh and, uh, Arabs connected to the Oklahoma City bombing. And, and so, you know, I was bringing them good stuff. This was good stuff. If you were anti-terrorism, you didn't have to be embarrassed by this stuff. This was valuable. And I made sure that, that the people who, who cared about these issues got to hear about it. I wanted to make sure that we, you know, that the people of Oklahoma City had a right to know Timothy McVeigh and, and, and uh, Terry Nichols got some help from people we consider to be Al-Qaeda to this day. Uh, Ramzi Youssef, who was uh, uh, 
uh, arrested in, and, and is now in prison, convicted of the 1993 World Trade Center attack, was, lo- was hiding out in the Philippines at Abu Sayyaf campus for Islamic radicals in the Philippines at the time of his arrest. And he is believe he has been face identified as having had meetings with Terry Nichols in the Philippines. That's Ramsey Youssef from the 1993 World Trade Center attack in face meetings with Terry Nichols, who did the Oklahoma City bombing. Okay. And it's the same MO for both attacks. These truck bombs. Okay. Though in Oklahoma City, we have always believed that yes, there was the truck bombs, but there was also explosives wired inside the buildings, either the elevator shafts or the stairwells. We, my, my defense intelligence handler, who is very passionate and can, can, uh, devote, he bleeds red, white, and blue all over the flag. He would never sell out an American in a terrorist investigation. He would, he, he fought in Vietnam and he would fly those helicopters and he did medical evacuations and he would fly right into the conflict and take men out who were bleeding and dying. He never left a man behind. He, one of the biggest patriots I've ever known in my life, very conserv- conservative. And he, sw- he investigated this thing at the, at the base level and he determined that the detonation, he actually debriefed Congress too. He determined the detonation patterns of Oklahoma City required that bombs must have been, ex- explosives must have been put into the stairwells and or the elevator shafts. And he would not make up a story either way. He's not going to sell out any investigation. And that's how we were raised. That's the kind of a kind of tutelage I had as an asset. No matter whether you like somebody, you don't like somebody, you do not fabricate intelligence on terrorism. It's too important. So you know, the fact that, that, you know, Paul Hoven didn't like Libya, but the fact is that Libya did not do Lockerbie. The fact is that somebody else did Lockerbie. So, and, and all these terror, you know, we don't sell out. You never, never, I mean, and this was beaten into me that you never fabricate a report, a briefing. You never fudge the intelligence because we were the raw intelligence. And so other people would be making decisions and assessments and analysis. And if we, if we, omitted a detail. This was just hammered into me because I uh, dealt with Iraq and Libya. And if I had fabricated an intelligence report or law or, or just smudged it, there would, we, that, that would never have been tolerated ever. That's just, you, you do not, you don't help somebody out and make things more convenient. And that's one of the things that, that, uh, very important to know that before I, before I, I read, I wrote my book, Extreme Prejudice, I had been, because of my old-fashioned intelligence schooling, you never read somebody else's reports on 9-11, like the 9-11 Commission, because you don't want their information to contaminate your information. You don't allow any kind of cross-breeding of, ide- of ideas, because again, I am a raw primary source, and so I have to keep my stuff Abs as pure as it can be, 
So I don't change anything inadvertently trying to accommodate somebody else's story. Or I don't presume that they're right and I'm wrong and therefore I'm going to omit a detail. I make sure that my stuff is exactly accurate and I do not back down off that story that, or, or that those details. That's what happened. That's how it went down. And, and you don't ever, ever do it. It's, 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 if you're doing primary intelligence, you, that has to be accurate. You know, you, you anyway. Why did <laughs> yeah, we? I hope you'll read my book, Extreme Prejudice, because you'll find out, you'll find out the real facts that nothing is what you were to, what by, they said. By the way, can, can you still hear me? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm just talking a lot. Good. No, that's okay. Because sometimes <laughs> people can't hear me and, and the powers that want to be get into our shows. But why did we pick on Libya, and I asked you this because you know what happened with Muammar Gaddafi in the past uh, year or two. I, with the research I've done, in my opinion, he was a benevolent dictator who made Libya be one of the countries in in, in Africa, the, the, the country without any illiteracy. People could actually share the wealth of the entire nation. They found water, so it's going to become another paradise. They had oil. Uh, he was going to transact in, in gold. He was always our enemy for a reason. Why did we pick on Libya? And I ask you this because allegedly they had nothing to do with the Lockerbie bombing. Yes, this is very significant. You're absolutely right in all detail. There was 89% literacy. Uh, there was a $50,000 marriage bonus, a $10,000 child bonus for every child that was born. Uh, there was free education all the way through university. There was great root laws for women, protecting women's rights. Gaddafi was the glorious Steinem of the Middle East. He was the most advanced on women's rights. Women had the rights to reject marriage proposals, which is unheard of in Islam. They had the right to have an education, the right to hold jobs. There, Before the revolution, there were more women doctors in Libya than men doctors. And that was just a fluke, but uh, women had full educational opportunities at, to the highest possible levels. All of that has been destroyed. Every, all of the first thing that the, the new government did, the very first law they passed was to, uh, strike down women's rights in marriage and divorce. That is to say that the first law backed by Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, uh, in Libya was to deny women the right to reject a marriage proposal or the right to leave, to initiate a divorce. So if you have a violent, abusive husband, you want to divorce him. Under Libya, under the new laws, you're not allowed to do that. So how much of a feminist can you really be if you're Hillary Clinton, if you're, dis if you're going around the world destroying women's rights? Um, why did we go after Gaddafi? My operation in the 90s was very important. I'm, I can tell you a little bit about it, but it is it is still classified to this day. Um, our operation was to persuade Gaddafi to push all terrorists out of the country. Okay? All the terrorists had to go. And we succeeded. Richard Clark called it the finest operation of his career. 
Now, he's never been able to define what that was, but it was mine. And there was no other operation in Libya during the 1990s. That was it. Uh, and it was my operation. And, and Richard Clark called it the finest, the greatest achievement of his career. And that should tell you something. We took a troubled, paranoid, isolated country at the time in 1995 when I went there, when I first approached the Libyan embassy and the Libyan ambassador, uh, Libya was a, was a, you know, deeply suspicious and vile, um, vengeful, um, country. Uh, and they, uh, they, they are true Islamic peoples. For example, they believe very strongly in Islamic martyrdom. So what had happened was Gaddafi was taking responsibility for the Lockerbie attack as an act of martyrdom. Misplaced and misguided, absolutely. But he was burying, he was like carrying a cross, like Jesus on the cross. He was, he was, he was taking responsibility for the Lockerbie thing and facing the persecution because Libya had money, Libya had oil, and the people who, you know, and, and it was his way of, of protecting, by, by taking responsibility for it himself, he was actually protecting the people who really did it. You gotta understand. They knew, everybody knew that, that, that Libya had nothing to do with it, but Gaddafi was able to shield and protect the real, the real criminals, the real masterminds. And it was because of our crazy policy. And we protected them as well. So, uh, very stupid. Again, we have a lot of very dumb policies on the Middle East that don't, um, that, that, that in retrospect turn out to be very bad ideas. And the first thing that came to, to be in Libya after we quote unquote got rid of Gaddafi was the central bank. That, that was the first casualty. Yes. What do you say about yes. that? Yes. Well, you know, Libya wanted to. Uh, this was this was a real uh, tragedy. Uh, Libya had wanted to have a gold currency for all of Africa, an, a gold-based dinar that would rival the euro, the European Union. You see, and then you. The next thing you know, the European Union, which is in 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 free fall, okay. Uh, the, the European Union, we all, all of us can see their economy is collapsing. There's nothing hold, they don't have, they don't have trade. Uh, they, they, they have a trade deficit. They're not, they have a manufacturing capability very much like the United States, which is to say not very much. They're not really producing very much. They're importing everything and they're a debtor society. And, um, for I, what you see in Cyprus and the run on the banks, it's only a matter of time before that happens throughout the whole society. So there you then you have Gaddafi in, in the Mediterranean, just south. And all of a sudden at the African Union, which is loaded with mineral resources. See? Gold and minerals, other valuable minerals. And all of that if if Africa had a unified uh, like an, an Afro, a real African uni union, like the European Union. And then if it had a, a gold backed currency, why that would just put the euro to the, that would be the death of the euro. 
No, that would that would not never happen, as you say. And Gaddafi wanted to launch a communication satellite and was funding it 50% and the rest by the African countries. But that would have cost billions to British Telecom. So that's another reason why he had to go. That's right. That is right. And so they were willing to bankrupt their own. Uh, uh, they 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 have uh, they they have their own. Uh, it was just it was just a matter of protecting their own country. And speaking of, of Gaddafi, their their own continent. Excuse me. Right, excuse me. It right. was just it, it was all, all economic self protection and imperialism. But the irony is, you know, be careful what you wish for. They managed to get rid of Gaddafi, but now they have gross instability. Libya is uh, a country at civil war. Essentially, no one is talking about this. You hear this on the blogs and internet radio, but the corporate media has gone silent, radio silent on Libya's uh, crisis. And that's because the violence has not stopped at all. There's infighting, killing back and forth. The the cycle of vengeance has taken over. Gaddafi was a brilliant leader in there were 2000 families tribal families in libya that had been fighting for generations and Gaddafi pacified them all gave them all equal access to the oil wealth made them all equal you know first they were all equals in the in the in the camps running the country in the, in the committees that ran the country um and now that the they're back to the old you know uh an eye for an eye, uh, except it's in more it's decapitation for decapitation, and arrest for arrest, and it's it's hideous. It's it's just you know Libya is now uh, one of the one of the real tr- oh, oh. women activists. Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton will be uh, satisfied to know that women activists are kidnapped from their homes and passed from group to group to be gang raped they have a they have a belief that if they can impregnate a woman with pure islamic seed she will be destroyed and broken but then she will also be the 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 true islamic force will destroy her and 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 once once a woman is raped and and thrown out with a we are pregnant with a a full belly uh, with child, it doesn't matter that she was raped in the Middle East. It, if you're the victim of a rape, it does not matter. The, you are to blame. <laughs> you know, the woman is always to blame in those situations. Well, we'll look at what happened to that Norwegian uh, woman a few days ago in uh, what was it, Dubai, or somewhere in the yes. n- Middle East, and she did what any woman would do. She called the police. All of a sudden, she's in jail as the guilty party. Yes. And sentenced, I believe, to, what was it, 13 months or 16 months? That's right. That's right. And, you know, I I can never understand why we do the things we do. But as time goes by, I can see the agenda. But take Iraq as an example. And I was not really a fan of Saddam Hussein. At the same time, just like Gaddafi, in a way, he was able to glue together, in, in, in Iraq's case, the Kurds, the Shias, the Sunnis. Right now... Is that glue still there, or do we have the sectarianism, the tribalism, the warlike mentality between tribes in Iraq? 
Absolutely, we have tribal feudalism, and and we have uh, the 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 Iraqi exiles who had not been in the country for decades returned home to their re- returned home to Baghdad, um, and they are to this day they are regarded as puppets. Um, they are not respected by the Iraqi people. Uh, there, they, you know, the, the, the Mount Maliki government is about a thousand times worse than Saddam Hussein. He's actually made Saddam Hussein look good. And, you know, he's using the same tactics of, of, uh, of arrest and prosecution, imprisonment. Uh, they don't even get, they don't get trials. They're just taken away and detain, you know, detainee camps, detainment camps. They said that, that, uh, last week, there was a prison break at Abu Ghraib and about 500 militants escaped. But really what we know is we don't know if they were really Al-Qaeda fighters or if they were just people who went back to their villages um, because they, you know, they just fled as soon as they could because, you know, they, they've never been tried. They've never, they, none, there, there are no trials in, the, in that society. There's just, you know, people just get picked up if they don't, if the government doesn't like you, they arrest you. Yeah, it's like the extraordinary renditions that I'd like to speak with uh, you about in, in a moment. But going back one second to, to uh, Gaddafi on April 15th, 1986, the morning after the bombing of Tripoli. And I still remember Reagan's war uh, words today. We have done what we had to do. The next morning, you met an elderly man, an elderly Arab Isn't man. Isn't that wild? Yes. That is a true you consider story. the conversation you had with this man as the most extraordinary conversation you've ever shared with any soul in this lifetime. Tell us what you discussed and why it was so important to you. Well, I, I tell you, this is a really freaky, freaky thing. And um, I will let, I have to let your listeners decide for themselves what they think of it who this man was, what this man was. He, he, wa- he, he was an elderly Arab man, deeply religious, very conservative. He spoke out of the side of his mouth with his eyes turned away from me, looking, never looking at me the entire time. Very friendly. I mean, not, not aggressive, like, you know, putting his arms around me or anything like that. Very conservative and religious, but very respectful of women. And he told me the future of the Middle East, including what's happening today. Every single detail that he described, he talked about the war with Iraq. He talked about the way the conversation opened was, um, uh, let's see. He said he started almost immediately. He started laughing. How did you, how did you bump into him? First of all. Well, I, I this this is a really wild story. Um, I had it was the morning after the bombing of of Tripoli, and I had gone to Holland Park, uh, where I used to go before classes at the United at the London School of Economics, and and he sat down next to me on a park bench and told me the future. He told me my future, and he told me the future of the Middle East, and some of the things he said. Uh, well, all of the things he said were remarkable, uh, and, and they were, they turned out to be more prescient than I ever could have imagined. He told me, quote, just detail for detail, quote, the United Nations will impose sanctions on Libya 
for the bombing of an airplane that goes down on the roofs of Scotland. And I looked at him and he held out his hands. Those were his exact words. And he held out his hands and he said, ah, yes, that is a real bomb. You see? And he held out his hands so I could see his hands. And I was like, oh, yeah, wow, okay. And I could see it in my mind's eye, the fuselage torn out over red brick roofs. Now, the town of Lockerbie, Scotland has red brick roofs. And I could see it vividly. Um, he told me that the uh, many things, he talked about the war of Iraq and he described the, how the suicide bombings and how, how, how people would blow themselves up in the marketplace is what he said that, that religious people will blow themselves up in the marketplaces and they will come from the mosques and blow up, uh, to fight. They will come from the mosques and blow themselves up in the marketplaces is what he said. Uh, so he knew about suicide bombers. He also knew about my court case, which was very scary. Uh, he kept saying to me over and over again, quote, the authorities of the court are going to ask you questions about me. I want you to know it's all right to answer. You just tell them what I say to you today. You must never allow pride to distract or discourage you from what you must do. You must do this. And he talked about the sanctions on the Iraqi people and how he said two million people would die from the sanctions. That was his number. Um, yeah, he went on and on and on. And he, and he told me at one point, and this was also kind of scary, uh, not scary, but eerie, ooh, ooh, you know, like, ooh, ooh, like, um, ghost, ghostly. He said, like, ghost, like, ooh, ah, kind of stuff. He said, um, Libya is going to save you. And he started laughing. He said, Libya is going to save you. And he shook his head. He said, in your greatest moment of danger, Libya is going to save you. <laughs> Try not to be afraid. Save you as a person well, or, or as a country? Save me. That was all he said. Okay. That's what he saved me. I'm a person. So he said that. But in my greatest moment of danger, my defense was that I had been an asset and that I could prove it because my I could prove that my CIA handler and I had worked on Lockerbie together. So in fact it was it was my the strategy of my defense in my case. It was critical because we you know I, I could easily you know I had the lock I I had witnesses from the Lockerbie trial I had witnesses from uh, who, who my, my my witnesses from the Lockerbie trial were the Scottish solicitor Eddie McKechnie, um, a, a journalist, a Scottish journalist who had interviewed Richard Fuse and me together, and who knew had vis I had set up the meeting with these guys. Um, he knew Paul Hoven, uh, who who had been introduced to him as as a defense intelligence person handling uh, Lockerbie for the Defense Intelligence Agency, liaisoning. And so, you know, I, my whole st legal strategy for the defense of my case rested on proving my, my capacity to prove that I'd been an asset. So all the things the old man has said turned out to be true. Um, he also, tragic enough, described the Arab Spring, and he talked about how all he quote quote 
all the violence that exists in men's soul, that men pretend God has been caged, all of it shall be unleashed against the Tigris and Euphrates. When they try to put it back, they shall find they cannot. And then the fighting will spread throughout the earth. And the fighting will, will hit every capital of the Arab world. There will not be a single country that is not affected by this fire of violence. And it will burn, the wildfire will burn until every, all life is gone. And it will sweep into Europe and it will come into this country as well. And I said, you mean it will be worse than Vietnam? And he said, Vietnam? Vietnam is nothing. This will be worse than World War I. With one exception, it will be worse because all by this time, all of the jewels of the earth will be used up. So anything that is destroyed will be lost forever. Is there anything else? That's just incredible. <laughs> How do you like them apples? <laughs> incredible. Is there anything else that he said that has not come to fruition yet that you may want to share? Yes. He said that Israel would fall. He swore it over and over again. Now, I'm not uh, saying that I'm advocating the fall, the overthrow of Israel, but he insisted that it would happen. And in fact, I contradicted him. I said, I said, uh, I, I, I challenged him at the time. I said, I don't think you, you've, 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 I don't see how that could happen because of the, you know, the is, Israelis are building the occupied, the, the occupied, uh, territories are, they're building settlement cities in all the occupied territories. And he said, they will leave. And I said, I don't know about that. I said, I don't think they're going to leave willingly. <laughs> well, that was one of the reasons. Go ahead. Go ahead. That was one of the reasons why Jim Trafficking, I think, went to jail, because there was a bill to give Israel, you know, the billions of dollars we give every year, but he wanted a guarantee that the money was not going to be used for the expansion of settlements. Well, the money got there, and what happened? They started building again, and he started making phone calls, and he was told, who are you? Bought out, basically, and that's when, you know, all these charges were presented, and he went to jail for seven and a half years. Yes, yes, that is, I, I'll tell you something, um, you know, what, what I'm saying about the old man, the old Arab man, th this is a true story. Uh, I don't know how to describe him. What, what would you call someone who can do all of those things? I don't know. I'm not even, I refuse to name that. I'm just describing for you what happened. Uh, he did say that Israel would fall. He swore it would fall. He was ab he stomped his he stomped his cane. He had a, a black cane and he stomped it on the ground, and he said, "It's true. It's true. Their prophets know it. Israel is fallen." And he lifted his head up in the air like he was very serious, and he was not going to back down from that. Uh, but what we're seeing now with with Syria and and Iraq and the whole Arab Spring and this global wildfire of violence is something he described too. And uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Well, that's okay, because um, we have to take a one and only intermission, and I want to discuss a little bit okay. more of this, because I want to get your take on the whole Arab Spring. I, I used to think, wow, look, things are changing. Mubarak is, is leaving uh, Tunisia. But in fact, what's coming is the unknown. We have the Muslim Brotherhood, and now we know that, that it's not 
happening. We've got to talk about the Arab Spring. Absolutely. Let's have a, let's have a break. Absolutely. Let's have a break. But tell, before we take the break, tell people how to buy Extreme Prejudice, the terrifying story of the Patriot Act and the cover-ups of 9-11 and Iraq. Uh, you can buy it at Amazon and Kindle. Uh, it's available internationally uh, in Europe. Uh, there's, there's a new French edition of Extreme Prejudice. Uh, it's going to be published in the Arab world. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Uh, and uh, the, the story about the Arab man is only, is only a small, very small part of it. But uh, this, this goes inside Carswell Prison on Carswell Air Force Base, which is where uh, American women activists are now being detained. It's becoming the center for for detaining for political detain detentions like like the a, a woman's guantanamo prison uh is what i and we'll talk about all that when we come back definitely this reminds me of historian alexander alexander solchenitsyn who went to the gulags because of course we know how he knew what was happening there in that part of the world but when we come back i'm here with susan lindauer my special guest Very fascinating information, and, and when we come back, I would really want to discuss how your time inside of your own version of Guantanamo was. Don't go anywhere, folks. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment two in the member section. Enjoy. Lay down your guns. I come in peace. No need to run, my friend, into the trees. We've been through this so much before, but still we
This is Susan Lindauer, and I am delighted to be talking with you on Veritas. Veritas. 